Good morning. My name is Kathy Connor, and I'm one of the pastors at First Pres. I love reminding us that worship is God's party, God's celebration. Therefore, we are all invited to come just as we are. It is our hope that you will deepen in your relationship with Jesus, or that you will discover a relationship with Jesus. If you are new to First Pres, welcome. And we invite you to go to our website after worship, fill out a Connect card so that we might encourage you, pray for you, or answer any questions that you might have. I want to also invite all of you to share the service on Facebook so that others might join us in worship this morning. Please pray with me now. Heavenly Father, you are the one that brought us into this day. You welcomed us into this day. You welcomed us to come to you and to come just as we are. Father, here we are in a long weekend. And my prayer is that you would bless everyone who is worshiping with us this morning with rest, refreshment, rejuvenation, all the things that they need, Lord, to enter into a new week with you. Father, some of them are carrying burdens of unemployment or the stress of trying to make sure that their business succeeds and flourishes. And I just ask that you would grant them respite from that anxiety and stress and instead give them a sense of your loving presence, encouraging them, Lord, that you will make a way where there seems to be no way in this moment. I pray that you would bring rest and refreshment to educators, students, and parents navigating the complexities of our current educational system, simply trying to meet needs and do it well. And Lord, it's just been hard. Lord, give them a sense that you are leading the way and that you will find a way and that you will care for every child and every family and every educator going through this right now. Jesus, there are also people in our church who need your loving presence and healing. We continue to pray for Carol Ross, Lord, as she strengthens after her brain surgery. Oh Jesus, we lift up Debbie Akers and her family in the loss of her beloved father, best friend and hero. Just 
Wrap your arms, Lord, around their family. We continue to pray for, for Rachel Godin and her family in the loss of her beloved grandfather, Jesus. And Lord, also for the DeJore family in the loss of their father, Joe. Jesus, we know that we are here because you were here first. You're the Alpha and the Omega. So we, we tell you the truth, Lord, we're thirsty. And some of us may not realize it, but we're thirsty for you. So in this hour, quench our thirst because you are not only the living water, you are our rescuer. And we know we need your rescue. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, church. We are so glad you're here this morning, worshiping with us today. Let's take a drink of that living this morning, a living water this morning. Let's worship together.
the cross Jesus is waiting God so loved the world Who am I at the highest king would wear? Friends, the moment has come. I am so excited to let you know that next Sunday, September 13th, we will be regathering live right here in this sanctuary at 9 a.m. and a second service at 10.30 a.m. The children's ministry, kids crew, will be happening identically at both services, at 9 and at 10.30 a.m. Registration for those services goes live tomorrow on our website, where you will also find our What to Expect video, which will also be featured on all of our social media opportunities. We are so excited about this, but we need your help. About once a month, just once a month, we're asking you to do what we call Sit One, Serve One. We have 39 people signed up so far, but we need 80 in order to cover a month's worth of serving opportunities. Would you prayerfully consider being one of those people? And as I said, you would be doing this about one Sunday a month, maybe even once every six weeks, 
then you can sit in the other service and just worship. Now we completely understand if you are not comfortable returning into a large gathering. We get it, we really do. So we want you to know that you don't need to worry because we are going to continue offering the service online as you have come to expect it as a high quality production piece. And we are gonna do that forever. God bless you for all of your hearts in willingness to sign up and to serve or to just be with us online. In James chapter one, it says every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. These gifts come from the Father. That means that God has blessed us with all these gifts directly from his heart right into our lives. And the miracle is, is that he has given us these gifts so that we might turn around and bless the world. And you have most definitely been blessing the world with your gifts as you have given back to God so generously. Here are five ways that you can continue to give back to God a portion of what he has given to you.
Good morning. I'm so excited to be here with you. I always am, and today is no exception. I hope you're having a great weekend. It's a long weekend because we get tomorrow off. You knew that already. We're in a series, and we've been asking the question, this theme, what would Jesus undo? And the answer to that question today is going to be, if Jesus could undo something, he would undo pride. And so I have an illustration that I'm going to use to make the point this morning. It's an illustration about pride, about self-sufficiency. And I'm going to begin with my favorite subject, and that would be myself. So here we are. I am going to tell you a little bit about me and about pride. And in order to do that, I'm going to go back to being in high school. And what I'm going to tell you is this. In high school, I was kind of proud because I was in the National Honor Society. Yep, I was proud about that. Here's another thing I was proud about. I graduated as an honor student, which meant I had an, a numerical average of 90 or higher. In fact, I'm so proud that I can tell you I remember distinctly that I graduated 12th out of 212, that puts me in the 96th percent, 94th percentile. Just not that I would remember any of this kind of stuff. So I, I was proud about this. I thought I was a really bright guy. I mentioned National Honor Society. I mentioned that I was an honor student. I also was a person who thought it was really great. I knew who the 11 were who were brighter than I was. The thing I was really proud that I would have said about myself, I was well-rounded because I hung out with cool people. Oh, yeah, at least that's how I saw it. And also, I could surf. Yeah. Shred. I was pretty good. A little, a little guy. I was a little guy, goofy-footed. I could shred. In those days, we rode nine-and-a-half-foot surfboards, crank a bottom turn, run up to the front, and just ride. So, oh, yeah. And here's another thing I thought in high school, and this is where the pride is starting to turn on me a little bit. See those 11 people in front of me? One of them, only one of them, wasn't what I thought. At the time, we didn't use this word, but I would have said they were all nerds. But see, I hung out, I was well-rounded. One guy of the 11 who did better than I did in high school, he was a golfer. And at the time, I thought golfers were kind of, non-athletes who had that one thing they could do oh I know better now <laughs> I know way better now but there I am in high school very proud but let's pause for a minute I'm coming back to this trust me but we wanted to as I talk about pride just say something about what's coming next because this morning we're going to talk about what would Jesus undo and it's going to be pride but we want you to know how excited we are about what we start next week. And we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. And you see this image of a runner. And I brought with you a bib. It's a bib I safety pinned onto myself in running one of the marathons. So what, what you're going to do is we're going to invite you to pin on yourself a bib. And on your mark, we're going to nine weeks go through the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to invite you to do some cool stuff. We're going to give you weekly reading and ask a few questions. And we got a key verse in the Gospel of Mark and some key themes. The key verse, the Son of Man, that is Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the key verse. You're going to know it. Pin the bib on yourself. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's some themes. We're going, to, we're going to echo the themes over and over again. In nine weeks, you're going to be a person who pins the bib on and you're going to run. And we're going to explore this great thing, this book called Mark together. But there's my bib. I'm going to put that back up. Back to pride. Proud. Here's the problem with it. I began to compare myself to other people, and I began to feel insufficient. And so I just latched on even harder. And here's the really bad part about it. I got mad. I was mad. When I was in high school, when I was a senior in high school, I thought I should be going to an Ivy League school. Now, I know now what an Ivy League school is, and I shouldn't have been there, and I wasn't. But at the time, I thought I, I should be there. 
And I was angry. And you know who I aimed my anger at? I aimed it at my parents because they didn't encourage me to apply to an Ivy League school or a big out. At the time, the University of California system, they, the state schools, UCLA, Cal Berkeley, they took the top 10% of the high school graduates could get in. That's it. And I was one of those in my high school. It was St. Augustine, not California. I, I just thought that's where I should have been. And I wasn't getting from people around me, my parents. The hell. And so I was mad at them. Pride. Self-sufficiency. They don't work. Later on, I learned. I, I by the way, didn't, you know I'm a rabid Florida State fan. I, I didn't have the money to go away to school. It was state school only unless I could find the money. So I, I commuted from my home to a junior college. Again, mad the whole time, two years of co college, the first two, because I thought I should have been somewhere special. And somewhere about my 21st birthday or so, I began to wake up. And here's what happened to me. So it, it was a part of my faith without me knowing it. God was just working on me. And the next thing I know, I began to feel grateful. I began to feel like, wait a minute, my parents did the best they could do. And the next thing you know, they're helping me get through college. And I graduated with no debt because my parents paid for what I couldn't pay for and did so happily. So this proud, scared, insecure 18-year-old boy became a person who began to see the world slightly differently. I opened up my eyes a little bit, and God was at work in me. I was a follower of Jesus, and the next thing you know, the pride just went away and because gratitude took over. That's what I want for you to understand and for me to understand this morning. What would Jesus undo? Self-sufficiency. It's a dangerous trap, a vortex that sucks you in. And the next thing you know, maybe you're like me, you're mad because you thought they owed it to you, whoever your they is. Somehow life, the world, owes me because of, and so I saw all of that performance and there's nothing wrong with being able to make 90s and 90, I was an A minus student, there's nothing wrong with any of that, that's all good, except I fell in love with all those performances instead of in love with my family, instead of in love with God. I let those things be the thing I was focused on, which was really focused on me. So self-sufficiency doesn't get us there. And one of the things we're acknowledging this morning is, am I going to be in love with the things that are true about me? Or, or are they going to be tools that I use in my love of God and of other people? So how can I use my gifts, talents, and abilities in a way to love God and love other people as opposed to being self-focused and thinking that what, the way I do it gets it done? So, and Kathy said it already this morning, we get to come as we are. That's how we come. And it's okay not to be okay. So on we go thinking about self-sufficiency and let's watch Jesus undo it a little bit. So we go to this passage in the Gospel of Luke, remembering we're going to study beginning next week the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they come in that order, but here's the Gospel of Luke, and he's talking to people, many of whom were like little 18-year-old fits, confident in themselves, self-sufficient, focused on self. So look at this text, it's going to come up first in two slides, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Did you hear me talking about looking down on people? It was driven by insecurity. Believe me, I know that now. At the time, I didn't. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Be careful when Jesus starts telling parables, telling parables you're going to find yourself right in the crosshairs of his love and his truth. He's going to teach you something about himself and about yourself. And that's what's going to happen here. He tells this parable. Two men went up to the temple. And the reason it says up is because the temple in Jerusalem would have been at the top of the hill, the highest hill in Jerusalem. It's still there. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee. A Pharisee is a religious leader who is, is in a sense, like a lawyer, 
He's an expert, however, in all the rules and regulations about what it means to be a person who lives a faithful life. And they're the ones that decide on which rule is being kept and which rule isn't being kept. A Pharisee. Two men went up to the temple, one to pray. They went to pray, remember, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Just a word about tax collectors. Tax collectors were reprehensible traitors. They were Jewish people who were collecting money from their Jewish countrymen and women and paying a tax up the hill to Rome because Israel at the time was occupied by the great Roman Empire. But the tax collectors skimmed off the top charging whatever was had to go to Rome and charging more and nobody could do anything about it they literally were deplorable human beings and I'm not saying I'm better that's not the point here it's just they would have been the Pharisees would have been thought by the general public as being upstanding citizens the tax collectors repugnant check out what happens the Pharisee stood natural for a Jewish person to stand when they're praying, stood by himself and prayed. And look carefully at these self-sufficient words. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, evildoers, thieves, adulterers. No. God, I'm not like them. I fast twice a week. I give one-tenth of what I earn. There he is, full of himself. His prayer is soaked in self-sufficiency, permeated, there's a good word, permeated, self-adequacy. He has contempt. He's haughty. He despises. He looks down on. I'm so glad that I'm not like all those other people, especially that guy way in the back, that dirt bag tax collector. Here's what, in effect, the Pharisee did. He was probably in the inner area of the courts of the temple, and he just walks in it's as if he walks in as he knocks on your office door to ask you to come in, he just opens it and comes in anyway. He barges in to the presence of God, announcing how great he has not just matched, but gone above and beyond the benchmarks of what it means to live correctly. All the things about fasting and how much he gives. And of course, it was appropriate for people to fast and appropriate for people to give. What's not appropriate is to have your fasting and your giving become something you fall in love with instead of fasting and giving in order to have it be a tool that God uses to love God and love people. He's in love with himself. And then he points, and now the, the tax collector is way back, probably just got up the steps, and there's a big open court, and he knows he's not coming anywhere near the center of things. But he's standing at the back, and Here's, here's what the tax collector is going to say, but notice, notice what happens. When we're full of ourselves, guess what? There's no room for God. When we are full, self-sufficient, haughty, when we look down at others, judgmental, there's no room for God. Where's God going to get into that? But the tax collector stands at a distance. He wouldn't even look up, it says. But he beats his chest. It's a way of saying, I know there's something broken about me. I know there's something wrong inside me. I'm sorry. Have mercy on me. And then he uses the term sinner. Broken far from God, self-sufficient, but admitting it, 
That's what this guy does. His prayer, notice, has no comparison in it. He's not playing that game that the Pharisee is playing. He's truly sorry. He's begging for a new beginning. And here's what's really beautiful about what's taking place. When we empty ourselves, we are in a perfect position to be filled by God's grace. When we empty ourselves, we're in a perfect position to be filled by God's grace. Here comes God filling up our lives. And as God takes over and comes inside us, notice what happens. We'll leave a couple of them up there. Ain't nobody got it all the way perfect. Hey, watch this. When God takes over, when we get filled, when we empty ourselves, God can fill us with himself. And here's another cool thing. When we empty ourselves, God can start to use us. See what happens? I try to put one in. It's full of God. Stuff starts bouncing back out again. There's a sense in which when God takes over, it's, you're not doing it yourself. It's all, look at that. Can you see it? Yeah, we've all got cracks. Did you catch the song about clay jars that we just sang? It's a beautiful reference. It's from the great apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says, we're like cracked pots, but in us goes the presence of God. And so God can use us not because we're something great, but because God fills us. When we empty ourselves, God can fill us. When we empty ourselves, God can use us. Look at it. And what's, what's also clear is that when we get more and more filled with God's presence in us, then it becomes the case that we're less filled with us. And God doesn't quit using us. God makes us even more useful, but it's not because of us. It's not because of self-sufficiency. Look what happens here. I tell you, Jesus says, that this man, meaning the repugnant tax collector, this man goes home justified before God. The word justified means now is in a right relationship with God. He has a right relationship with God. And why? Because all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who, them, who humble themselves will be exalted. See, pride... Is about my glory. And humility is about God's glory. Humility is about making God look good. Humility honors God. Now, what I mean by that is this. Back to the old whole idea of what you and I might be tempted to become self-sufficient about, whatever it is, it's your job, it's your athletic accomplishment, it's the way that you lead in your business, it's, it's your academic background and the where you went to school. What All those things are all good things, but not when they become the thing we're in love with. They're tools that God can use and will use if we allow ourselves to be filled by God and by God's presence. So what this tax collector does is he surrenders. He waves the white flag. He says, I, I, I know I'm broken. I know something's wrong. I know that I need you. So you know what's really cool? We don't get told this guy's name, this tax collector, but guess what? This is Luke chapter 18. Guess what happens in chapter 19? There's a tax collector. We know his name. His name is Zacchaeus. Guess what? He empties himself, and Jesus fills him up. And the next thing you know, the money he'd been stealing from people, he starts giving it away with joy. Now, I've been wondering since thinking about this, is the dude in 18... Zacchaeus. And I think probably not. I think Luke would have told us because Luke was a very careful recorder of history. But if it wasn't, if this guy, we don't know what happened to him, but we know what happened to Zacchaeus and he was the same deplorable, reprehensible. So just a broader sweep about how people who heard Jesus tell this story, they would have been shocked. All of Jesus' hearers would have been shocked at this story. Why? Because the meritorious behavior of this Pharisee 
in spite of his meritorious behavior, he doesn't get Jesus. But notice, it's, it's still in spite of the tax collector. It's not because of. He doesn't get what he deserves. In spite of his repugnant character, the tax collector gets grace. It's not because of it. Don't leave today thinking, oh man, thank you God that I'm not like the Pharisee. Don't leave thinking that because guess what? It's like a boomerang. The next thing you know, bam, catches you in the back of the head because that's the first step into the vortex of self-sufficiency. See, they get what they get. One exalted, one humbled, not because of who they were, but in spite of who they were. The tax collector gets grace in spite of himself. And the meritorious behavior of the Pharisee leaves him with what he thought he might get, but he doesn't. In spite of his behavior, he gets humbled. Great fun looking at ping pong balls bouncing around in water. God loves you and me in spite of, not because of. Another way of saying it is this. You can't be so good that God owes you. Don't go down that track. See, it's not about you earning and me earning God's love. It's in spite of who I am. God loves me. We can't put God in debt. God hasn't been in debt. He's not now in debt. And we'll never be in debt to you because of how good you are. It's in spite of all that we've done. We have this problem. Default for human beings is to say, I can do this on my own. And we called this tax collector, said, I'm a sinner. It's what we mean when we talk in the Christian family about sin. It means self-dependence, self-sufficiency, self-occupation. And it always leads to trouble. It always leads to mistreating people. It always leads to brokenness. And what we do is we just surrender. I don't know how to do it myself. I'm broken. I know I'm, I'm wrong. A couple of things that I want us all to do together about this. Practical things. Things that you can, you can leave here saying, thank you, God that in spite of who I am, I get to come just as I am. It's okay for me not to be okay. I want to deepen with you. Maybe you want to, for the first time, surrender. Maybe allegiance and loyalty and surrender to Jesus is happening for you right now. And it means this. It means simply this. You love me. I know on my own I'm not figuring it out. I want your help. I need your help. I'm going to surrender any illusion that I can make this all happen because of how great I am. Take me over. Fill me up use me. A couple of ways that you can perhaps practice this in your life. And I say what I'm about to say knowing that we're all kind of scratching our heads with the world out there today. And I, I'm tempted still today to think, oh, this is so hard. The, all, the content, all the difficulty in our world, I'm thinking what I need to do when I have some free time is just protect it. Hang on to it. I'm just so wrong when I say that. I'm back to thinking about me. Here's what I want you to consider. There's somebody, some cause, some need, and you can feel it. And if you go and do something about it on a Saturday morning, just go and do something to help somebody, I promise you, you'll come home more filled up than if you tried to collect more stuff for yourself because it's so hard out there. Yes, it's hard. Just a little something. Just a little something. That's what you can do. I promise you, you'll feel better if you do something to help somebody else. And there's somebody in your life. We, we've, we've been saying this around here. Who is your one? Who is somebody you care about who's in need right now? And that person may also be far from God. You care about them. They're your friend. You love them even. And they're far from God. That may be a part of what they need. Who is your one? And go and just do something. Engage. And give a little bit of yourself away. I promise you God will honor that because the person who humbles him or herself, that's the person who is, has a chance to be filled up with more of God's presence. There's another thing I want you to do. 
And this is something you can do. I think families, you can do this around the table even. You can do it individually. Here's this. Make a simple list of everything great in your life. A simple list. You could do it around the table just over the course of a week, once or twice a week. You could do it individually. And then write next to each thing how God made it possible. A simple list, great stuff in your life and how God made it possible. I promise you, you'll transform the way I did from being angry that I didn't get, didn't get to go to the college I thought I should have gone to, to being grateful for what had happened to me. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, it is a trap. I live in and out of it all the time. I get focused on who I am and what I like and what I can do and what I'm good at and then get a little bit proud about it, maybe even haughty. I've looked down on other people and the next thing you know, I'm empty. Self-sufficiency for me, gracious God, just simply was a, a wall. I ran into it. And by your grace, in spite of how I was, you began to fill me with yourself. And I began to experience gratitude. Instead of being mad, I was thankful. It's a miracle. On my own, it was clear where I was going to do with it. And I don't think I'm alone, gracious God. I think I live in a world, in a city full of people who have so much capability, so much talent, so much accomplishment. And it's really not hard for us to start to say, man, I am where I am because I did everything I did and yay me. And I'm in the front of the line, gracious God, saying, well, yes, you've given me gifts and talents and abilities, but life is about me not falling in love with all that, but falling in love with you. And then you fill me, and all that self-occupation goes away, and you use me in your plan, in your administration, in your program, in your kingdom. And that's what I want to be a part of, gracious God, a big family of people who are busy getting filled with you and using what we have to love our city, to love our neighbors, to love our family to love our colleagues at work, to love our fellow students. So gracious God, right now, there may be somebody who's like that tax collector, who's just standing somewhere in the back, thinks they're not welcome, thinks that because of who they are, they're not a welcome in your presence. And oh, gracious God, help that person right now to know that it's because you love us, you're rushing at us with your love. In spite of who we are, gracious God, you love us. And there is no difference really between any of us it may feel that way but there's not you love us all and that's what makes a difference and for those of us gracious God that might be thinking yeah let me take another step go a little deeper making a list seeing how all the great things in our life have you attached to them or finding a way for that one person in our life or that need or that cause and we go and we give a little bit of ourselves away and you will fill us up and our way of filling us up doesn't work Thank you, gracious God, that we get to be your people. You're, we are your sons and daughters. You love us. We can come to you just like we are. There is no long history of performing well before we get to be used by you. We just show up. We say, okay, take me. And there we are. You'll use us. Thank you that this is true. Thank you that we can sing. Thank you that we can pray. Thank you that we can be connected to you here in Sunday worship. Thank you that we get challenged by your love. Help us, gracious God, to be people who get ourselves off our mind and get others on our mind and you'll fill us up and you'll make a difference. We want to be change agents. We want to love well because that's what Jesus does. And so it's in his name that we have celebrated and that we sing. Amen.